Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Gallagher Jr. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Only One Shot Golf on Instagram or me at GallagherJR on Instagram, GallagherJRGC on Twitter. Today I have the head coach of the West Virginia Mountaineer, Sean Kovich. He's been around golf his whole entire life. He's fast becoming one of the bright stars in college golf. Started the men's program basically from scratch at West Virginia. Has helped them become very competitive, made it to the NCAA regionals and playing in the Big 12. So let's see if we can get Sean on the phone. All right, I've got Sean Kovich on the line. Sean, thanks for uh, being with us and taking some time to talk with us. Jim, yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I feel humbled that you even want to talk to me. So, hey, I look forward to it. And, um, and you know, honestly, I'm hoping I'll learn a little bit from you. I've, I've definitely loved listening to the podcast, and it's been a lot of fun following along. Well, we've had fun watching your career and, and uh, your good old Mississippi boy. You grew up in, in Mississippi. Your dad, uh, it was your dad that got you started, wasn't it? Did he get you started there in Meridian? Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty uh pretty much the story i mean my dad's a club pro he was there at meridian for gosh almost 20 years i believe that's that's where i grew up um but honestly you know my my grandfather on my mom's side played a lot of golf with him you know because dad was busy running the course and opening the shop and playing um and then really just being around junior golfers at the club you know we had a good group of kids we played at briarwood we played at northwood um and you know you just when you're a kid, and back in the '80s and '90s, you just grew up at the golf course, and that's pretty much how I got into it. Yeah, Jimmy Gamblin was at Northwood, and Meridian mm-hmm. back then was the hotbed of of golf. So many great golfers. Of course, you had Mike Taylor coming out of there, and so many guys before that. But what was it that made it uh, so popular, and why were there so many great talents coming out of Meridian back then? I think it really goes back to the the two pros, longtime pros at Northwood, uh, Bill Davis. It was actually Jimmy Gamlin's pro when he was a junior. Um, back then, I want to say the entire Ole Miss golf team was from Meridian. Uh, there's still a picture of the uh, Ole Miss golf team from the 50s, uh, and every single one of them, except for maybe one, was from Meridian and had grown up you know, at Northwood playing under Bill Davis with the pro. And then Jimmy Gamlin, when he took over, uh, kept that, that love and support of junior golf going. I mean, he... I mean, Andy Ogletree, who we all know mm-hmm. now, first got first got his lessons from Jimmy at Northwood. I remember watching Andy when he was five or six years old out there. So, uh, just those those two guys are probably a main part of why uh, junior golf in in Meridian, in particular, uh, was very important. And it's just kind of got that tradition and history, and just carried on. Well, I I remember as Northwood the couple times I've been there. You walked right out of the pro shop, and there was a driving range. It was right there, mm-hmm. and I think it was easy for Jimmy to keep an eye on them. Mr. Davis keep an eye on those guys. They were right there, and I didn't know that the entire team was from Reading. That's that's amazing, uh, but I think it's like anywhere else. I mean, I you know with Clay Holman and and Allie McDonald, Chad all from Fulton, little nine hole golf course. You're around good players. Did you play against those those good players, those older kids, those older people when you were growing up? Yeah, I mean, that's what you looked up to. I mean, there were so many uh, guys that went off to play college. Um, several of them went to Ole Miss or, you know, uh, Mississippi State or places like that. Um, uh, Reed Davis and uh, Dan Singley and uh, Robert Dreyfus. Uh, a lot a lot of guys that, you know, in high school, uh, you know, were qualifying for the U.S. Junior or U.S. Amateur, uh, winning state, state junior titles and um, you know, so we just had a really good group and our high school team at Lamar uh, was really good. We won four straight state championships when I was there and 
uh, it was just tough to make a lineup, you know, in a, in a high school uh, team. So I think that definitely helped everybody. Like you said, you get two or three people and then they start uh, influencing and challenging and developing the players around them. Um, and that's what happens when you get a little hotbed that, you know, everybody's making everybody else better. Where did you did you decide when did you decide kind of hey I might want to play in college when did that happen for you? Um, well, I mean, I, you know, I grew up playing all, all the junior events back back then. It was you know the the Ray Hoskins Junior at Columbus Country Club, Pros of Tomorrow at Tupelo Country Club. We had the the uh, PGA Maxfly PGA Junior Championship uh, qualifier at Laurel. Um, so I kind of just grew up playing in Mississippi and. You know, uh, I was pretty decent in high school. And then um, MCC, Meridian Community College, uh, Coach Lou Hart uh, was the coach there. She was from Meridian, uh, offered me a chance to play there. Because, uh, I mean, I wasn't going to play Division One golf, but this was an opportunity to keep developing, keep playing, and they were really good. I, mean, mm-hmm. they, I think they finished runner-up in the nation the year before I got there. So I was like, man, this is really good. And she was sending players to – four-year school so I thought well this would be a great opportunity um so that was uh I was pretty lucky in a sense I could still stay at home um and make it easy on my parents as far as you know the education costs but also still play what I thought was high level golf and get better um and it was it was a great privilege to play under her and uh, she was just an amazing person and I really loved uh, my two years there yeah, she uh, won multiple state ams. I think it was nine or ten uh, Mississippi women's state ams and senior state ams. She was Hall of Famer, Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame, and just a great player. You're right. And you learned a lot from her because she was a very she was probably one of the most competitive people that I had ever met. And she was at about five foot two and didn't weigh a hundred pounds. If you uh, soaking wet, but she was a heck of a player and, and just real competitive. But like you said, you went to Meridian. You end up graduating though from Mississippi State, if I don't recall. Is that correct? Yes, yeah. So I played two years at MCC, and then uh, decided to transfer uh, to finish my uh, undergrad at Mississippi State, and my and I got my graduate degree there as well. So I spent uh, at least four more years there. Um, but at that point, you know, growing up the, the son of a, a club pro and playing junior golf, and then playing two years, I was, you know, I, I'm not I'm not gonna say I was burned out, but I I wanted to do something other than golf, which is ironic because that's my whole life's been around golf, but so I went to school and just majored in sports communication, sports administration, and knew I wanted to work at college athletics, you know, somehow, some way. Um, and then was lucky enough to uh, I work for the Mississippi Golf Association yep. for a year. And then I saw Alan Hart. So Alan was Lou's husband. He was playing in the senior amateur at Tunica National. And uh, I saw him, and I just joked, joked with him and I said hey when uh when coach Hart retires I'd love to have that job and I really was just joking and he said <laughs> and he he stared at I never forget he stared at me he goes yeah I think you'd be good at that I'll tell her and I said no I'm just kidding Alan don't like really don't worry about it he goes no she's thinking about retiring this year so and then lo and behold a few months later I got the job and I'd never forget that that conversation with Alan I was just joking but uh I guess he t- he took it to her and then she took it to the school and then uh, here we are, like 15 years later. Yeah, that's that's an amazing story because they went from D2 uh, National Junior College to D1, and, and and like you said, they had great teams. But I think in your second season, you end up finishing runner-up. You all had some good teams there, and eventually, I think even got the number one. What was that like coaching at that level? 
Oh, it was so much fun. I mean, all, all my fun stories are really from the JUCO, JUCO ranks. And then, you know, when I got into coaching at, at Meridian, I was 26 years old. So I wasn't that much older than some of my players. And, you know, when you're young, I, you know, I was just all about trying to, trying to win and trying to, you know, carry on that tradition that Coach Hart had built. Um, and so, you know, but I, I got some really great advice from Scott Lindball. Scott is now the head coach at Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. He used to be the assistant coach at Alabama. But before that, he was at a small school called Huntington College in uh, in Montgomery. Yep. And I saw his, his career moving up, and I thought, man, that, that's so impressive. Like, you know, how, how do I – advance my career so i reached out to him and he said look you need to treat meridian community college like you're in the sec like you you need to do whatever we're doing here in the sec and just copy and paste and like don't don't say well it's just juco you know whatever he said treat it like you're in the sec and you're trying to win the sec championship and i i took that advice to heart from the way we worked out the way we qualified to how i tried to run practice, um, you know, standards that we set. And that was the best advice I ever got. And he said, look, if you do that, somebody's going to notice and you, you'll end up with a great job. And so I kind of took that to heart. And, and that's that's what I tried to do at Meridian and, you know, just recruit players. I remember trying to get Jonathan Randolph to come play at Meridian, mm-hmm. I mean, which is kind of a joke because he's, I mean, so talented, great player. You know, guys like Chad Ramey and Barrett Edens and Fletcher Johnson. Like, I, I was trying to recruit those guys, um, and, which I didn't get any of those. But, you know, that, that was some great advice from Scott and something that really helped me out. Well, what kind of, you know, when you, you talk about that, because every kid wants to play D1 or D2 and, and, and don't want to do it. So if you don't get guys like that, where do you go recruiting for kids at the, at the JUCO level? Yeah, I had a, I had a, a recruiting formula. Basically, I had three areas that I looked at. One was the in-state kid from Mississippi who was overlooked. You know, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it might have been he just didn't get out, travel enough to play AJGA to get you know D one coaches to look at him, or or you know grades weren't quite there. Maybe he played two sports in high school, whatever. Just that overlooked kid that was like, man, I know I can play it. You know, Southern Miss or Mississippi State or Ole Miss, I just need a chance. And so I try to get one of those kids uh, each year. And then also I would go down to Louisiana because at that time, Louisiana did not have a junior college that played golf. They played baseball, they played basketball, but they just, for whatever reason, uh, no JUCO uh, golf team in Louisiana. So I would go down there and get one or two kids from Baton Rouge, Lafayette, um, to come up to Mississippi and say, hey, look, if you want to go play at La Tech or LSU, you, you can come here, be an All-American, and then they're going to look at you again. Um, and then the other area I looked at was international players because mm-hmm. a lot of times they didn't take the SAT or ACT. It wasn't that they weren't smart, it's just they didn't know the requirement. And so by the time they figured it out, it was too late, And but they still wanted to come play in America. So those were the areas I looked at, and, and we had a lot of success uh, with that formula. Yeah, you mentioned uh, what Coach Limbaugh told you, and Clay Homan calls you to be the assistant of Mississippi State. Uh, did you feel like that was a good move for you, and why did you take that job? Uh, well, it, I think it was my third year at, at Meridian. I drove to the David Tom's Invitational, which that year was played at the Country Club of Louisiana mm-hmm. uh, in Baton Rouge. 
And I just drove on my own. I said, look, I want to come down here. I want to see how these players handle themselves. I want to see how these coaches conduct themselves because I'm trying to prepare my guys to go to the Division One level. So I just want to see the difference with my own eyes, you know, how they do things. And I drove down there, and I kind of knew Clay Holman, but not, not, not very well. And I sent him a text that, hey, I'm going to be around. I don't want to get in the way, but I'm just going to come down here and watch. He's like, hey, just get hop in the car with me. He's like, I got 36 holes a day. Like, you know, let's just ride around. So I rode with him the entire day, just asking him questions and observing. And then I drove back home uh, when the when that round was over with, and didn't think much of it. And then a few months later, uh, he called me and said, hey, um, I got some good news. I just got approved to hire a full time assistant coach. And I thought, wow, that's great, you know, but I don't know why you're calling me. And he said, well, I'm, I'm going to, I want to offer you the job. And it, it completely, uh, I guess I was just naive or blindsided, but I was like, wow, that's, uh, it's pretty amazing because I grew up in the City State fan. Um, so I accepted the job before asking how much it paid. It probably wasn't a good idea, but that's okay. Um, so that, because that was the first question my wife asked. Me, so yeah. I don't know why she was interested in that, but, um, Anyhow, it, it worked out. Um, and but, but to answer your question, it, it, it's hard to move from junior college to Division One head head coach. And so I felt like I needed I needed that four year experience, whether it was you know in the SEC or Conference USA. I you know that didn't matter. It just I felt like I needed that um, experience to be taken seriously to you know coach at this level. Um, and that's, that's how it played out. So that's, that's why I wanted to make the change, um, from Meridian to, to Mississippi State. Well, you say that your teams went from 125 in the country to, I think, top 30 into the NCAAs. I think you were still there when they went to the NCAAs. I don't think you had left yet, but, uh, you know, what was the difference in recruiting? Of course, the players are, are able to, you know, you're an SEC school and you all didn't have the, the facility that they have now. Uh, and, and like you said, Clay finally got an assistant coach, which, you know, I remember talking to Mr. Bryan said, y'all are 10, 15 years behind everybody for what they're doing. And, and for Clay, yeah. said it was impossible to recruit and find diamonds in a rough. And you had that ability to do that. And you had kind of that avenue in the junior college. So you were a big asset to him. Uh, what did you learn those first few years at Mississippi State, uh, you know, about recruiting and coaching uh, now in the SEC as an assistant? Well, the first thing I learned was when I went out to recruit, as Mississippi State, and we're going to, you know, these AJGA events and, and U.S. Amateur, U.S. Junior Am, those kind of events. I'm going out there, and I come from JUCO. Every player looks amazing to me, mm-hmm. you know, because I what I was coaching. Now that's not that's not a knock on JUCO guys because a lot of great ones uh, out there. But I'm just saying when you show up, you know, at an AJGA event at PGA National or wherever. I mean, those guys can all flat out play. So what I'm saying was it was it was hard for me because I'm like, man, all these kids are good. I'll take any of them because I could win a JUCO national championship with any of these guys. But now I've got to look at it from the SEC, you know, viewpoint. Um, and, and another thing that I noticed once we got those guys there um, was that it, I didn't need to structure and overcoach like I did at JUCO. JUCO, you you kind of had to keep the guys motivated. You had to keep them structured. You really had to have, you know, a detailed plan each practice because they were just kind of 
you know, they weren't as motivated at times. Whereas, you know, when you got Chad Ramey and, and Axel Bolison and Robbie Calvinsford on the range, like they, they didn't need me to tell them what to do. Um, they, they needed somebody to help them with everything but golf. It was really kind of what my role was there. Um, but it was great. I think the reason we had success, Jim, because we had a good group. Mm-hmm. Chad, Barrett, Chad, Barrett Edens, uh, Robbie Cavisford, Joe Sacklepison, Axel Boatson. They were together for at least, you know, two, three, four years, depending on, you know, who that was. But they were all there together and they would show up at the range before we got there and they would say afterwards and it was just great. I mean, when you have a group like that, you kind of stay out of the way and that 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 was very lucky for us. Um and and those were some great guys to be around. Yeah, I got to actually hang out with them a little bit and, and Clay would call me in and just, you know, pick my brain a little bit, let the kids pick my brain a little bit. But when you look at it, and one question I always like to ask my coaches or any of my guests is what separates the elite player from just the average guy, because now you're looking at the different levels of JUCO to SEC. You know, what separates that elite player when you're looking for them, and what do they have that maybe some of the other kids don't have? Yeah, it's, and that's the hardest thing to evaluate in recruiting is what, what you know, this player has that makes them special. Because we can all look at swing videos, track man numbers, um, tournament results, you know, all those kind of things. But I really think it comes down to what, what makes a person that's going to have lasting success is, is there, are they a good, it sounds like a simple answer here, but are they a good person? You know, are they mm-hmm. doing the little things right? You know, if you're not a great, you know, person, you're not going to be a great player. I don't think. And, you know, when you're recruiting, I'm, I'm looking at, 200 and some kids I'm only going to bring in you know three or four a year and they got to be good people they have to be part of our family for four or five years and you know it really comes down to are, are you a good good person and can you fight through adversity because your career is going to be tough I mean we play a hard game it, it's you never know when you show up that day what you're going to have mm-hmm. and so can you can you really fight through that adversity and that's the hardest thing, Jim, in, in recruiting is like figuring out can this kid really handle us leaving for Hawaii and he's stuck here going to a biology lab when it's snowing in November. You know, how's he going to handle that? Is he going to say, hey, I'll work my butt off during the offseason. I'm not missing the Gator Invitational in February. Or is he going to start complaining and, you know, this and that? So it's a long it's a long answer. I wish there were an exact science to no, it. No, no. Really. You know, you know, are, are you a good person? Can you handle adversity? Um, because all the golf stuff, we can we can look at that all day long. I can send you a swing video, track my numbers. But yeah, D one talent, no doubt about it. But how's that person going to be on your team? You know, so that's those are ex- things you, you have to sift through as a coach. That's an excellent answer because I think that's the biggest part is because you've it's got to be a team because golf is such an individual sport. To be great, you have to be selfish, and I think you know you can't force chemistry. I've seen it people time and time again try to do it, and you've got to pick kids that you want to be around. They want to be around you. They got to buy into what you're trying to do, uh, and that kind of leads into my next question. But you get a call. Uh, to go to West Virginia and take over a program that hadn't competed since the eighties, early eighties. Uh, what, what, what was that like starting a program basically from scratch with, uh, you know, they've had history, but it's been years since they played. What was that like? 
Yeah, I think they, they cut the team like 1981, I believe. And and if you've ever watched a Mountaineer football game, where the football stadium sits now used to be the, the country club or university golf course where they played. So they built the stadium on top of the golf course and cut the golf team uh 1981 so it's been uh 35 years since they had a team um so i got i moved here in 2014-15 we did not compete that year but we started competition the very next year so 2015-16 and not only did we start competing i mean we're competing in the big 12 against oklahoma state texas oklahoma i mean teams yeah. that win national championships so it was we weren't easing into it by any means so um yeah it was very difficult but that first year, what I, I tried to do in recruiting was get as many transfers as possible um, because that would free up scholarship money a little bit sooner as mm-hmm. opposed to if I just went out and got seven freshmen and then that would be my team for four years. Right. So I, I was lucky in that you know we, we kind of had a balanced roster. I had two seniors, two juniors two sophomores and like three freshmen. So we kind of looked like a normal team. Um, but the challenges with that were, you know, they were all transfers. And so it was really tough uh, as far as a culture standpoint, that first year, maybe first two years. But once we slowly started kind of getting our recruits in here, you know, uh, true freshmen, getting them through the system by our third year, I mean, it was so much fun to be around those guys and, you know, the first few years were tough, but that was just kind of the growing pains of getting it going. Uh, I think it would have been tough either way, uh, but I, I kind of believed in that that uh, format that I used, and it really helped us go out and be more aggressive in recruiting early um, as opposed to being, you know, scholarship money tied up. But, yeah, that first year we had 11 guys. Nine of them were transfers. Um, you know, from Coastal Carolina, Maryland, Toledo, Drexel, some D2 schools, JUCOs. Um, it was kind of a hodgepodge, but... Uh, no, I think that was year, smart. Yeah. I think that was smart because you, you're you only, what, four, four and a half scholarships uh, right. on the men's side. So you've got to divide those up. And you don't want to, like you said, you could have recruited all freshmen and maybe they don't turn out. So I think that was very smart on your part. Do you remember the first tournament, that first day of the emotions uh, when you all played <laughs> in it for the first time? Do you remember that day? I do, yeah. We played at Turning Stone Resort. I don't know if uh, I've if played you there. Up there. Yeah, so we played up there. Not we didn't play the uh, the course that you guys played uh, for the tour event, but cause there's like four or five up there. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was a very difficult golf course. Uh, but I do remember those emotions. Just um, yeah, honestly, driving the van up there. I mean, we had a brand new van, West Virginia van, and. You know, no West Virginia team had played a golf tournament in 35 years. So it was all – that whole year was just kind of um, – every tournament I had emotions because we was like, wow, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's like, you guys actually have a team. I mean, you're here. We heard about it, but this is uh, this is pretty cool. So and, – and we played terrible. Um, so that, that was tough. I definitely – you know, coming from Meridian where we had a lot of success every year, I mean, we were one of the top teams in the country – and then in Mississippi State was such a fun ride going from, like I said, about 125th in the country to back-to-back NCAA regionals. That was a lot of fun. And then now you're just getting a uh, uh, face full of humble pie every tournament. You know, it's just you're finishing, you know, 12th out of 13th, 15th out of 15th. And, boy, it was, it was tough. But, you know, I think that really 
was good for me because I was I had to focus on the process and not just the results. And I, I've, I've really grown a lot as a coach because of the fact that we were not good. Um, and I had to learn how to, you know, really motivate the guys, understanding that the deck stacked against us the first few years. And, you know, how, how are we going to get better, control the things you can control, um, and so I think it's definitely made me better. It's given me a better perspective of, you know, hey, it's, it's really not all about winning. It's about developing these guys on the golf course and off the golf course. And if I'm doing that and we're finishing 12th, then, hey, I, I'm still a really good coach. If I can make these guys better players and better people, then, you know, who cares if we finish first or 10th? You know, like that's the main point. And I think when I was 26, 27, I'll, you know, it was all about winning. And now that I'm 40, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit different perspective. That's a great answer. That's exactly what your uh, former head coach and boss man, Clay Holman, said. He's molding young men, and the rest of it will take place. I was going to ask you how you motivate them, obviously, and keep them. How do you keep, you know, even yourself and the kids going when they're not playing well? How do you keep them, you know, trying to stay positive when things are going, like, hey, they're getting their brains beat in early on? How do you keep them, keep them going? Well, I think one of the main things that I, that I try to teach the guys, like golf, you know, the score doesn't tell the whole story. Um, a lot of times you'll you'll hit 15, 16 greens, shoot 76. Sometimes you hit a terrible, you are questioning, you know, every single swing, you're just hoping to keep it on the golf course, and you still shot 68. And, you know, that they don't need to get so tied up in the in the score. You know, it's just I try to have them look at the long-term view Usually I have a lot of these conversations with my freshmen, but, you know, because they're all concerned about, did I make the trip? Am I right. going to the next trip? I'm like, dude, you need to look at this as a four-year deal. Where do you want to be by the time you graduate? What is your goal with golf? And let's work towards that. And, yes, you may make it to the Florida Gator Invitational, or you may not. You may be in our starting five the rest of your career. You may not be. You've got to look at it over four years. And so I think, for me, keeping the guys motivated, um, and just having a good perspective on, look, this game is so fickle that you don't know what you're going to get from day to day. You just control what you can control. Have your uh, game plan of what you want to achieve and how you want to achieve it. And, you know, just ride. The, you kind of have to ride the waves of emotion of, look, you're going to have good days, bad days. And I always use the analogy when guys on tour, like you, for example, you might have a missed cut. You might have two missed cuts. You may have three, and then you win the next week. Mm -hmm. That's just golf. You know, that's golf. And so you're never that far off from playing great golf again. And so that that's kind of my message to them to keep them motivated when they're playing bad. It's just like, look, you never know. Okay, guess what? Yeah, you missed cut this week, but you could win next week. And just trying to have that attitude. That's a great attitude. You mentioned that. I, I went through that myself. I missed multiple cuts in a row. It hurt my neck. And I was like, ah, oh, Leah, this game's killing me. And then I go to Anheuser-Busch and win. Where does that come yeah. from? You know, it's the craziest. It's just how the game is. You just got to keep fighting. Uh, and I love the way you're talking about it. I love the way you kind of keep them in perspective. And, and, and I think that's important because it's, it's easy to coach when they're winning. You really earn yeah. your earn earn your badges and earn your uh, their respect is when they're not winning and keeping them up because it, when it becomes about you the coach and not about the kids and that's me having two girls play, that's when you get in trouble. It's got to be about the kids and the team. Uh, it's not about you. 
uh, and, and I always tell kids, you know, it's not who you are based on what you've accomplished. That's not that doesn't make you as a person. Just because you're a great player doesn't make you a great person. You gotta you, you can't let golf dictate who you are. And I think sometimes we fall in that trap. I think Allie McDonald, who's just one on the LPGA, mentioned that that it does not define who she is by how she plays. And I think that's uh, great advice. But you said I think it was your fifth year. Y'all get to the NCAA's or get the bid to the NCAA's first time since the '40s. What was that day like for you and the team? Yeah, um, yeah, it was it was really cool. Um, I mean, I'm almost getting choked up thinking about it now because of how how hard it was. Uh, we just I was sharing with you earlier just how how hard it was the first few years. Um, you know, not only from a result, results standpoint, but like I said, with that many transfers and just kind of the the culture wasn't where I wanted it the first few years, but then it got there the third year, and then it was actually our fourth year. The fourth year was the year we um, we advanced to the regional, okay. and I, that was that was awesome for me because my first freshman class of uh, Max Sear, who was from Canada, and Tristan Nichols from Australia, two freshmen that you know they they were on the first team ever that we had here um, since reinstating the team. And now they're seniors, and they're going to the NCAA regional. They're on the team that's going to the NCAA regional. That's and cool. It's because of their hard work, you know, and every year we got better recruits each and every year. Um, but, yeah, sitting there watching the Golf Channel and seeing our logo pop up on the Golf Channel, uh, going to the Louisville regional was was uh, was really cool. And then not only that, we we almost made it to the national final sure did. because we missed it by two shots. And that was that was really hard, but at the same time, I was so proud that we were that close, that we were that competitive. You know, we could have gone there and just been like, "Oh, we're happy to be here and, and not really compete." But man, those guys believed they could do it, and we almost we almost pulled it off. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and then last year we would have made it again, but obviously the season was cut short mm-hmm. um, in March. But uh, yeah, that that was a that was a fun night um, getting to celebrate and watch when they uh, announced it on the golf channel. You know, you mentioned the season got cut short. You're having a good year. Looks like you're improving from where you were. That had to be a tough conversation with the kids to tell them, "Hey, the season's over. We're not getting to go any further." Because I've talked to multiple coaches, and that's that's when that's when you become you know that's where it's really important to really have the right answers. It really isn't a correct answer, I guess. Uh, just the emotions of you know work so hard to get to the season and now it's shut shut down. How'd you deal with that? And how'd the kids take it when you found out? Hey, we're not going to get to play anymore last spring. Yes, that was a tough one because that the next day we were scheduled to uh, start our spring break and we were going to go to Pinehurst and practice for I think three days and then go to Hilton Head uh, practice for three days and then play at the Hootie at Bulls Bay. Uh, which is the ninth, you know, one of the best tournaments, one of the most fun tournaments in college golf. Um, great field, great golf course. They put on a concert. So we were jacked up. I mean, we were ready to go. We were pumped. You know, it's still kind of cold uh, here in West Virginia, so we're looking forward to getting out. Um, and then we just got blindsided, really, because, I mean, we kind of heard about the NCAA uh, March Madness being canceled, um, but we thought, well, that's a spectator, you know, indoor event of course they're gonna cancel that but we should be fine for golf and then they just canceled the whole season like just like that so it, it's still a day that's really hard to kind of wrap your head around because we i just i had to text all the guys because we were you know getting ready to go and mm-hmm. it was just 
it was just a weird day. And then some of the guys I didn't see until August. So, you know, we're the day before, which had been March the 11th, we had practice. And then we go all the way to August to the show up this year. So that's been the hardest part. Like as a coach, you love being around the guys. You love watching them compete, you know, having qualifying, working out, getting in the van, going to a tournament. And your your whole work, life kind of revolves around that rhythm of the tournament season. And then to have it just completely wiped away uh, was definitely hard. I mean, it was – I know it's hard on the guys, but it's been hard on coaches too because, I mean, we, we get so much energy um, from our guys just being around them and, you know, not having that interaction, you know, six of the seven days a week is just – it's been kind of tough. So – um, that was definitely a tough year last year. Um, you know, what the fact that we were good and going to another regional obviously was disappointing, but it wouldn't have mattered what we were ranked. Missing out on being around your guys is definitely, definitely tough. But uh, that's why I've definitely uh, enjoyed this year and being able to compete a little bit. Yeah, you lost your best player, I, I saw. I just read uh, ACL, whatever, injury. But uh, you got to play a couple events in the fall. I know it was good to get back. I think you guys were at Colonia. You were texting me and, and and asking me some advice. Of course, I didn't have advice on forty mile an hour winds. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Big Twelve. Uh, but it, it it had to be pretty cool to get back to playing. The guys had to be pretty fired up uh, to feel like, hey, we can get back to playing and and not normal, but just back to playing and competing again. That had to be kind of rewarding uh, this past fall, even though the fall's kind of now come to a, a close. Yeah, a lot of a lot of conferences, you know, were not playing any any golf. So we were we were excited that the Big Twelve said, Yes, you guys can play. And then they put together uh what they call the fall series. So we were able to play a colonial, you know, great historic PJ tour venue. Um, you know, really, really tough golf course, especially when the wind's blowing twenty out of the north. Um, that you know, it always does that practice round, 87 degrees, no mm-hmm. wind. And then you show up for a 36 whole day. Now it's 52 blowing out of the north at 20. So that's, it always seems to work out that way. But, uh, no, we, we were, uh, just blessed to be able to play that, that golf course, have a ton of respect for that course now. Um, not, not that I didn't before, but man, that, that thing played tough. So we, uh, we enjoyed that. I think we didn't, play as good as we wanted to but we started three true freshmen in the lineup and we're only going to get better because of going through that and basically we we opened up with a big 12 championship i know it's called the colonial collegiate invitational but that was basically a, a big 12 championship so they boy they really got got an introduction to college golf for sure how do you, um, how do you recruit against those big 12 schools you mentioned oklahoma oklahoma state uh uh, all those teams, Texas, that are they're so good and so competitive. I mean, on the national level, how do you recruit those kids? What does West Virginia have, and how do you sell West Virginia to those uh, juniors out there listening and the kids out there uh, trying to make a decision where to play college golf? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say I recruit against those schools. I recruit because of those schools. Because we're in the Big 12, that gives us a great opportunity to recruit good players because you're competing against, you know, Matt Wolf and Victor Hoblin and, um, you know, Bo Hodsler, you know, Gary Woodlands and Jimmy Walkers, like all these great players that have played in the Big 12, uh, Ricky Fowler, George Spieth. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, and it's a great opportunity to sell our program playing in what I would say is traditionally the best conference in college golf. 
and you know it's a great opportunity and we're the only big 12 school east of the mississippi river so i'm i'm kind of in acc big 10 country and so i can differentiate myself from you know virginia wake forest and ohio state and penn state because we play in the big 12 and that's a great opportunity um and so i just try to sell it that way um and then obviously you know Mountaineer athletics, a lot like Tennessee, where you went. I mean, mm-hmm. it means everything to the state. It's a very passionate fan base, you know, whether it's football or um, golf, it doesn't matter. Um, so it's big time athletics. And if you're a golfer and you make all conference in the Big 12, you can play professional golf at some level. Like you're going to know that answer um, because of the competition that we we face. And then I try to play the best schedule we can um, in our non conference stuff. So that's pretty much what I'm, what I'm selling. And, you know, I've always said whatever positives you have, you just accentuate those in recruiting. And whatever ne- negatives you have, you just uh, work around those and figure out how to make that into a positive. Um, and, you know, I'm talking to you today, it's probably 35 to 40 degrees. Uh, weather is obviously, you know, a big issue of recruiting here. Um, but, you know, we get around it by going to Florida and traveling. Um, we put together a great spring schedule. We call it like the Florida Swing. We go to Florida, Florida State. Um, you know, we do a qualifying trip down to South Carolina. So we we always say, what's the weather like in morning February? I don't know. We're not here because we're in Florida. So uh, well, that's, that's kind of how we get around it. That's what you're seeing a lot with the northern schools and where there is weather. And, I mean, I kind of like the seasons. I kind of like the, the fact – I chose – of course, I grew up in Indiana. Going to Tennessee felt like I was going to – uh, the Key West, you know, compared to that, uh, but uh, I think it's there's it's okay to have some time off for the kids. But uh, uh, for you kids listening out there, Sean Kovich is one of the good guys, one of the good coaches, and and don't be afraid to give him a holler. And, and how do the kids get a, a hold of you? How do they get in touch with you? I know the recruiting things really changed, uh, uh, but how can they get in touch with you? Or how you know what you're looking for, and and how do they uh, find uh, Sean Kovich in West Virginia? Well, um, yeah, just go to wbu.edu and you're gonna you're gonna find out, you know, about West Virginia, one of the great best schools in the country, um, and our sports teams. And then, you know, um, I'm, I'll try to stay active too on Twitter and Instagram and stuff, um, so the kids can can follow me there. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a great opportunity here at WBU, um, and it's funny that you know you said you. You grew up in Indiana. Going to Tennessee felt like going to Key West because I, I do recruit a couple kids out of Canada because we're definitely warmer than Canada. So um, we, we try to use that in recruiting as well. But um, no, I, Jim, I appreciate you having me on. And, and before I don't know, sure if we're wrapping up or not, but I have to tell this story. No talent. Go ahead. I think I was six years old. The deposit guarantee classic at. Uh, Hattiesburg Country Club. Oh boy! Um, I can't. I think my dad was playing in the tournament, but he must have been playing in the afternoon wave, and you were kind of out in the in the morning wave. So um, my granddad and I went out there to watch you play. It was number five, so it's par four. Um, and I'm over there on the right side by the car path. And again, I'm like five or six years old, and you you got a birdie putt. You're lined up, getting ready to hit it. <laughs> And I'm over there, like, chasing squirrels or trying to pick up pine cones <laughs> or something. And my granddad just grabbed me, you know, just like, look, stop. Like, do not move when this guy's putting. And so you had to back off the putt. All right. So then 
I can't remember if he made it or not, but I was so like scared, you know, cause I was over there running around. You came over, you signed your glove and, and gave it to me. And I actually, I kept that glove for a long time. So, um, I, there's no way you would remember that story, but I definitely do remember that one. So, um, it, it just goes to show like, you, you know, you're never too, too busy or too important to, to be nice to somebody. Cause I was, you know, I thought I was going to be in trouble when you came over there and like, Hey, no big deal. Here's a glove. Um, and knowing me, I probably put the glove on and try to play later, but, uh, I definitely, I definitely remember that moment. That's a cool story. I was afraid I was going to have to apologize for something <laughs> I did. I still apologize. No, you, uh, he kept you cool. He kept you cool. That's a cool thing. You know, Patty Berg actually came to my dad's home uh, or the course I grew up at Machingo Mission Country Club in Indiana, and she did an exhibition. And I remember she handed me a golf ball. It was a Wilson staff ball, and she signed it, I think. And you know, maybe she just handed it to me, and I was probably your age. Uh, and some guy walked up to me and said, hey, I'll give you three brand-new balls for that old ball. And I said, oh, yeah, sure. And so my, <laughs> my dad said, where's the ball? I said, oh, no, some dude just gave me three balls for that. He goes, oh, my gosh, you know. It's kind of like, yeah. I didn't know any different. I just thought, that's just an old ball. I get three new ones. Uh, but that yeah. was a cool story, and I appreciate you sharing that with us. But I, I always kind of like to end it with this, and you were great to be on there with us. And, and uh, you know, whether in life or golf, you only have one shot, and you got to make it count. And, and you're making it count with these kids, and, and we just want to wish you and everybody at West Virginia good luck in the spring, and appreciate you being on the podcast with us. Yeah, thank you, Jim, and uh, I look forward to listening to not not just this one, but all the other ones. You've had some great guests, and uh, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Well, we appreciate it. Don't forget to get the Only One Shot by VJ Trolevo. It's available on Amazon. Until next week, we'll talk to you all later. Thank you.